Tonight's reading is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 40. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did, By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham... When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so, from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea, as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho Jericho fell, after the army had marched round them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they may gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, they were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes on the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised, since God planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we read your word and hear it preached, that by faith we would hear heaven's voices sing and that we would want to join in too. Amen. How can I keep going? I'm not asking it, uh, that question, just because uh, I want to get you listening. I'm not asking that question because I think it will set up the talk well. I'm asking an honest question from my heart. How can I keep going? And I know that I'm not the only one. I see frequent examples of ministers who have packed in both their ministry and their faith. I see frequent examples of those who used to be so passionate for Christ but are nowhere now. And I fear, is that me five years down the road? How do I keep going? I know I'm not the only one that thinks that way. The path ahead seems to stretch out into the endless distance. After every twist in the road, the horizon never seems to get any closer. After every stumble, it takes more and more energy to get up again. How can I keep going? How can we? Throughout our time in Hebrews, um, 
we've been seeing reason upon reason for sticking with Jesus time and time again. He is greater. He is greater. He is greater. We've been shaken by the warnings for those who don't persevere to the end. And we've been moved by uh, the stirring, amazing privilege of being able to draw near to God seated on his heavenly throne. So we want to stick with Jesus. We want to keep going to the end. But how? All the way through Hebrews so far, um, the book has been answering the question, why should we keep going? But here in chapter 11, we find the answer to the question, how can I keep going? And the answer, you will have picked it up in the reading, is faith. We can keep going by faith. What is faith? I'm glad you asked. Uh, faith is, is a sense. It, it's, like, it's like touch or, or hearing or sight. Um, verse 1 in the King James Version goes like this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the present experience of something in the future. It's the visible proof of an invisible reality. So uh, faith, um, it brings our future hope into the here and now. Faith brings heaven and, and brings it down to earth. It's like the taste of a meal that you haven't had yet. It's the sight of the destination before you've actually arrived. Faith is a spiritual sense given to us by God. Uh, but let me be clear just at the start. This chapter isn't talking about faith in general. Our society today values faith in general. Um, that could be faith in fate. It could be faith in Allah. It could be faith in yourself. As far as our society is con concerned, uh, general faith, it's all faith and it's all good. But this chapter is about faith in the God of the Bible, what he has said and done. It's a faith that tastes the future as described in Hebrews, uh, a future in God's presence because of Jesus' sacrifice. It's a faith that sees the invisible reality described in Hebrews. Uh, our great high priest, Jesus, at God's right hand, interceding on our behalf in the here and now. Only this Christ-focused faith will keep us going. Faith in, in anything else might be earnest, but it will be ineffective. Um, there we go. Sermon done. Uh, we can keep going by faith. Uh, not done quite yet, I'm afraid. Uh, the beauty of this chapter is that it doesn't just tell us that we can keep going by faith. It shows us. Uh, example after example will show us this. And my prayer is that with each example of faith, our confidence would grow. Would grow. My prayer is that with each example of faith, um, we would leave this evening knowing that whatever we face this week or in the weeks to come, we can keep going. And by the way, um, we are looking at the whole chapter today. It's going to be fairly broad brushstroke stuff. But if you'd like to go through the detail of verse by verse, we actually did a series on this, an eight-part series back in 2019 called By Faith. So um, 
You could even look at the website and do a sermon a day for the next week in a bit if you wanted to see the detail. But for now, here are five things, or possibly depending on time, four and a half things that we can do by faith. Five or four and a half reasons we can keep going. Here's the first one. By faith, we can please God. Look with me at verses one to seven there. It is faith that the ancients were commended for. The ancients refers to all of the heroes mentioned in these verses. Now, many of them uh, had um, remarkable achievements. Many of them did very, very impressive things with their lives. But those achievements only pleased God because they were evidence of genuine faith. God commended these people, not because of their deeds, but because they trusted in him. And there are three examples in these first seven verses. Abel was commended as righteous by faith. And Noah became an heir to the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. In both these examples, it means that God declared them to be in right relationship with him. They weren't perfect, as Lisa said at the start, but they trusted God. And uh, Enoch, let's zoom, on, zoom in on him. He's described in Genesis as a man who faithfully walked with God for 300 years. Quite an old guy. You may have heard his story paraphrased like this. Um, Enoch walked with God for so long that one day God said, Enoch, we've walked together for so long that uh, we're actually closer to my house now than yours. So why don't you just come home with me? And he did. Um, I love that. Enoch was uh, commended as someone who pleased God so much that he didn't actually die in the usual sense. He was just taken to be with his God. Uh, What a privilege. But his own remarkable morality and devotion to God aren't mentioned here. He pleased God because of his faith. Now, do you see the point here? Abel was commended as righteous. Noah inherited a righteousness that was not his own. And uh, Enoch pleased God, not because of what they did, but because of their faith. By their faith, they were given a right relationship with God. By their faith, they were commended as pleasing and righteous. And if we are to keep going to the end, we do really need to grasp hold of this. Because if we we don't think that God is pleased with us, honestly, what is going to keep us going? If we think that at the end of that long winding path stands a God who is ready to condemn us, then why would we even want to reach the end? But by faith, we can be commended as righteous too. Every single one of us, every single genuine believer has dark days where unrighteousness just piles high. Some of the people in this list certainly did. But even when our visible reality is a steaming pile of failure and sin, By faith, we lay hold of a righteousness that is not our own. By faith, 
we look to the unseen reality of Jesus, our great high priest. By faith, we, we reach up and we grasp his nail-pierced hand. And as we do, he absorbs all our wrong and he transfers to us all his rights. To be commended as righteous is to be given all the rights of Jesus The right to enter God's presence, the right to a hope beyond death, the right to a life of joy, a life of fullness. By faith we see that at the end of that long winding path, God stands with arms open, ready to reward all who come to him in Christ. Um, You may notice that a couple of my illustrations today... uh, involve uh, either sleep or being in bed. I wonder why that is. Um, But it can be hard to get out of bed to face another day of the Christian walk. Um, Sometimes our our guilt and the failings of the day before just just sit on our chest like a, a heavy weight pressing us down into the mattress. And it can feel impossible to lift that weight. But by faith, we know that Jesus has lifted that weight for us. By faith, we know that every single genuine believer wakes up each day with the smile of God on them. By faith, we can be commended as righteous. By faith, we can please God. And just one thing before moving on. Notice that the negative of that is true as well. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Maybe some people here or watching online aren't believers yet. I'm sure you're really lovely people. Generous, kind, honest. I'm sure it would be great to spend more time with you. But I do want you to hear this. Unless your faith is in the God of the Bible, he isn't pleased with you. Ask him to give you this faith, and he will be delighted to do so. By faith, we can please God. Secondly, by faith, we can live as strangers. Uh, Look down at verses 8 to 16. Have you gotten used to living in a pluralistic society yet? If not, don't worry, because we don't live in a pluralistic society anymore. Uh, An American, an Australian, and a Scot wrote a book. It sounds like the start of a joke, but it actually isn't. Uh, In 2018, Matt Chandler wrote, Take Heart, Christian Courage in the Age of Unbelief. Earlier this year, Stephen McAlpine wrote, Being the Bad Guys, How to Live for Jesus in a World that Says You Shouldn't. And then most recently, Alistair Begg has written, Brave by Faith, God-Sized Confidence in a Post-Christian World. And each of those books speaks into the same issue. A few generations ago, uh, Western societies were Christian by name, at least. Many laws were rooted in biblical principles, and uh, church attendance was really high. It was really very easy, or quite easy, for Christians to feel at home in that sort of society. But more recently, we've had to adapt to a pluralistic society, 
Uh, this is where the faith becomes the faiths. We've had to become used to the language of tolerance, haven't we? And in cultural debate, we've had to get used to the idea that our voice is just one among many at the table. At that point, it became harder for Christians to feel at home. But times have changed again. A post-Christian society is showing signs of becoming an anti-Christian society. Generally speaking, Christianity is no longer an option for many. For those who are steeped in the thinking and beliefs and the morality of today's society, what Jesus says about salvation and relationships and truth is completely unacceptable. So recently, I don't know if you noticed this, a politician was forced to apologize for attending a church where the Bible is believed. And in the, um, the consultation about the conversion therapy ban, there are many who are calling for our voice to be disregarded entirely. It's become very obvious that we don't have a seat at the table anymore in many cases. We don't fit in. And so um, one of those books is introduced this way. Uh, Alistair Begg writes, The Bible has always told us that this world is not our home. But for a long while, it's felt like it might be. Now our culture is changing. And we're starting to feel like strangers in our own land. It's tempting to grow angry or just keep our heads down or give up altogether. But this isn't the first time God's people have had to figure out how to live confidently and faithfully in a society that opposes God's ways and God's word. We've done it before and we can do it again. I think that's good. Let's take Abraham in these verses as an example of just that. Um, In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, we read, The Lord has said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Um, Sadly, God didn't give Abraham a holiday brochure full of the photos of all the activities and the accommodation in the land that he was going to go to. Um, he told him to go to the land that he would show him. Future tense. He hadn't seen it yet. But Abraham obeyed anyway. And then when he arrived, he wasn't put up in some luxury five-star hotel. No, he lived as a stranger in that foreign country. Living in a stranger for Abraham meant moving around in, in tents. Dusty, uncomfortable cold at night tents. And living as a stranger there meant being in the minority. He only had his small family around him. And so the vast majority of people that he saw had different beliefs, different customs, a different God, different gods. He lived as a stranger and a foreigner. And how did he do that? How could he keep going day by day in that way? By faith, as he lay down each night and looked up at the, um, there's the, there's the second uh, sleeping mention. As he lay down each night, looking up at the canvas of his tent, he could shut his eyes and look forward to something far more solid. As verse 10 says, he was looking forward to the city with foundations, 
better than a tent, whose architect and builder is God. And every time he gathered his small family around the table to eat, he could look forward to a time where he wouldn't be in the minority in this land. Verse 12, therefore from one man came offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. Abraham knew that that God had promised him a land and a family. And though he didn't see the fulfillment, his faith tasted that future. And it kept him going day by day as a stranger and a foreigner. And we feel like strangers and foreigners. And we can keep going with the same faith that Abraham had. As Christians, we shouldn't be surprised that we don't fit in here. In many ways, this is just a return to the norm for the church. We should actually happily confess what's written in verse 13. We are foreigners and strangers on the earth. We just are. Because faith tastes the unseen reality that we have a far, far better home. We desire a better place, a heavenly one. God has prepared a city for those who live by faith. And that is so helpful because when we're looking forward to heavenly glory, earthly discomfort becomes so much easier to bear. We can give generously. We can miss out on promotions. We can live more simply. We have tasted heaven. It's coming. And when we know that we have the unanimous majority of everyone in the city of God, continuing day by day as a rejected minority for a short time becomes all the more bearable too. We can cope with the name calling. We can cope with being left out. We can cope with the occasional rejection because we know we have that future inclusion, that future um, congregation of worshippers ahead of us. By faith, we can live as strangers. And thirdly, by faith, we can face death. Uh, Here we're looking at verses 17 to 22. This is the third way that faith enables us to keep going here. So um, just to briefly mention some of them. Jacob blessed Joseph's sons and worshipped, even as he was frail and dying. And when when his end was near, Joseph arranged for his bones to be taken out of Egypt and buried in the promised land. And the theme comes across, I think, most powerfully in Abraham here. The first example of Abraham and his son Isaac. Verse 17 says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Now, we've already seen that God had promised Abraham a family. And to zoom in on the detail even more, we know that God promised Abraham a family through Isaac. But then God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Just, just what? Uh, it, it's so hard to get our heads around God asking that, but there was a reason. We can hardly begin to imagine the 
distraught confusion that was going through Abraham's mind with every heavy step towards the appointed place. He was just weighing two impossibilities in his mind. What was more likely? That God had lied or that somehow Isaac could die and yet come back? What is likely? That God is a liar or that he has the power to raise the dead? Abraham passed the test because of his faith. And even though God stepped in at the last minute and provided a ram as a substitute for Isaac, Abraham was still willing to go through with the sacrifice. Why? Not because he concluded that God was a monster and that's what he wanted, but because he concluded that God is so powerful that he could bring Isaac back from the dead. It was far more likely that the dead could be raised than that God would be proved a liar. Abraham's faith in God's promises reached forwards beyond death and trusted God. There's um, There's a Christian classic that many of you here will have read, I'm sure you've heard of it, called The Pilgrim's Progress. Um, I'm glad you have. Great. As readers, we follow the main character, Christian, on uh, his journey from the city of destruction all the way through to the celestial city, um, overcoming many challenges along his way, along his way facing uh, many enemies. And uh, he, he meets a friend called Hopeful along the way. And as they get towards the end of their journey, they can, they can see the celestial city. They can see it, the end of their journey. But there's a river in the way, the river of death. And Christian is overwhelmed by fear about crossing this river. He, um, he speaks to some of the people there and he, he asks how deep the waters are. But the only answer he gets back is, well, that depends. The waters are shallower or deeper depending on how much you trust the king of this country. And then trembling from, from head to foot, he, he steps into the river and then takes another step and another step and another step. And then we read, entering, Christian began to sink and crying out to his good friend, Hopeful, he said, I sink in deep waters. The billows go over my head. All his waves go over me. He's despairing. He doesn't think he can reach the other side of the river of death. But uh, in the story, once more, Hopeful ministers to his friend. Uh, He reminds him of what is true. And eventually, Christian is able to reach the far side and get his head above water. Death is a significant obstacle before we reach the end. It is the final enemy. And to belittle it is not wise. Better Christians than you or I have been derailed when they faced this river. A terminal diagnosis. An unexpected death in the family. These tragedies have caused many Christians to give up their walk. But with the same faith as Abraham, we can keep our heads above waters in those terrible, tragic times. 
with the same faith as Abraham, with the same faith as Jacob, with the same faith as Joseph, we can face death. Faith knows that death is a river, not an ocean. Faith knows that there's a shore not too far away. Its waters may run deep, but faith in God's promises will keep your head above the water. With Abraham, we reason that God's goodness and God's promises reach beyond that dreadful place. And we remember Jesus' own precious words. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. By faith, we can face death. By faith, we can keep going, even at that dreadful time. We're going to do these last two points together. Uh, By faith, we can side with God's people. And by faith, we can face all kinds of hardship. I I want to do them together because uh, there is significant overlap. And also, it would be nice to finish at some point this evening. Um, Consider the, um, the two groups of people in verses 23 to 31. First, there are the the people of the world. There's a powerful king there, Pharaoh, who commanded the killing of all the Hebrew children. Um, There's the family of Pharaoh in verses 24 to 26 with all their riches, all their treasures. Uh, There's the mighty Egyptian army in verse 29. Uh, And then in verses 30 to 31, there are the disobedient people within the security of Jericho's mighty walls. And then there's the other group of people, the people of God. There's some unnamed parents with a very vulnerable child. There's the descendants of Israel in slavery in Egypt. There's a small army, and there are a few sneaky spies just at the end there. If you were picking sides based on the visible reality we see here, visible realities like strength and wealth, there's obviously only one choice. This is Chelsea versus Leicester in the FA Cup final. Um, There's only one outcome, surely, uh, but we know how that ended. Um, Sorry, Chelsea fans, you need humbling after yesterday. Um, Israel, hang on, let's, let's get back to it. Moses' parents successfully hide him from the king. Israel escapes the fate of the firstborn of Egypt. The people escape the mighty Egyptian army through the sea. And Jericho falls to a people armed only with trumpets and walking boots. According to the visible reality, it was obvious which side we should choose. But faith sees differently. Rahab knew which side to choose, didn't she, in verse 31. And so did Moses. We'll zoom in on him. Verse 25. He chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. With his natural eyes, of course Moses could see that Egypt was stronger. Pharaoh's family was wealthier and the pleasures of Egypt, its lavish lifestyle, its life of indulgence, looked far more fun. But with the eyes of faith, he saw differently. He saw that all of this was fleeting, temporary, and waning. 
Instead, being ill-treated with the people of God, facing disgrace with Christ himself, is far more value, valuable than anything that Egypt had to offer. Um, in the present, this would mean disgrace and danger, but his faith tasted the future reward, that reward which is far, far superior. And for us, how can we keep going when the world seems so strong and appealing? Maybe some of you here or online are heading off to university soon. You are going to be tempted by, by all sorts. The allure of, of sex and drink is going to be appealing. Or maybe some of you here are starting in the world of work for the first time. The allure of um, pursuing a, a fat bank account and a successful career is going to be tempting. Um, we could go through any number of life stages, but maybe some of you are approaching retirement. The pull towards comfort and ease is going to be tempting. It's going to look fun. At every stage, the temptation to side with the world looks great with our natural eyes. But with the eyes of faith, we see differently. The Bible doesn't ever deny that sin is fun, otherwise they wouldn't call it pleasures, but they are fleeting pleasures. They are fleeting pleasures with a deadly, deadly aftertaste. With the eyes of faith, we see that siding with God's people, siding with Christ is the only choice. The pleasures, the reward, even if they come at the cost of temporary ill treatment and disgrace, are far, far immeasurably superior, immeasurably. Psalm 34 verse 10 says, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I just want to speak to you if you feel the pull towards siding with the world this evening. Please don't. As in these verses we see here, siding with the world will mean you fall with the walls of Jericho. You drown with the people of Egypt. You die with the firstborn of, Israel, uh, of, uh, of Egypt. But by faith, we can keep going. By faith, we can side with God's people and inherit a far superior reward. Um, well, I'm going to conclude in just a minute. I've not really touched on the last bit, how we can face every trial by faith. But uh, verse 32 is actually my get-out clause. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and the rest. I know how the writer feels. Um, but pulling that comprehensive list together very, very quickly, um, there is no hardship that cannot be endured by faith. You'll see that the first half of the list, they experienced victory through their hardships, while the second half of the list experienced defeat through their hardships. But they both endured. They both endured by faith, and so can we, through every high and every low, through every single possible example of hardships that we get there. 
Isn't it tempting to say, as we finish, oh, that's okay for them, but I couldn't possibly have that sort of faith? I wouldn't be so sure. All those people in that list could um, listen to what God had said. They could look at what God had done. But look at verses 39 and 40. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us they would be made perfect. That something better arrived with Jesus. And whereas these believers in the list could only sort of grasp forward, yes, in faith, but through the fog of time to the Savior who would come, we can look back and see Jesus. Every time our faith is frail, we can go back to God's final word. We can go back to that cross and we can feed our faith in a way that none of these people had the privilege of doing. The path ahead seems to stretch out into the endless distance. Every single turn on the road never seems to make the horizon come any closer. Every stumble takes more and more effort to get up again. But we can keep going. By faith, we will. Let's pray. Almighty God, um, thank you so much that you give faith as a gift. So, Father, we pray that even now where we're sat, wherever we're listening to this, you would open our eyes to see heavenly realities. We pray that you would open our ears to hear that heavenly choir. We pray that we would taste the superior reward that is ahead of us for those who trust in Christ. And Father, we pray that this would keep us going. In Jesus' name, amen.